like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santee, and today I've got uh, two uh, folks that I really, really love to listen to <laughs> joining me to talk about Angie Play and the True Play Foundation. So welcome, Jesse Cofino and Christina Tapia. Thank you. Thanks. It's so great to be here, Heather. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you are. I, I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything that you two want to say about yourselves as introduction, by way of introduction, before we jump into conversation about? Nope. Okay. <laughs> all right. Great. Um, I mean, I could, I could, I could talk at great length, but I'll, I'll spare you all. Okay. Great. We'll just guess about you then. We'll just, we'll just make up sure. our own histories. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're here today to talk again about Angie Play. Um, uh, most of you who have listened to the show know that um, we did a panel discussion um, about, uh, about the, this sort of, not, not really a new philosophy, but new to me, it is for me, um, of education. And then Mike Huber and I joined you two for a true play uh, check-in yeah. and, and that was really fun. So, um, so I'm glad that you're both here. And I asked, uh, I asked Jesse to pick a quote for the beginning of our conversation. So I'm going to read it. And then the first thing I'll ask Jesse is for you to talk about why this, why this was your choice. All right. Sure. Um, so the quote is, if your change begins from putting your hands down in relation to the child, from discovering the true child, then your view of the child will change. Once you change the view of the child, then your view of education will absolutely change. When your view of education has changed, you will make incremental changes to the environment. Only when you have an accurate view of the child will you be able to support the child in discovering the world. And I assume that this is attributed to Ms. Ching, Ms. Chung. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's part of an interview. Thank, and thank you so much for sharing that, that mm -hmm. quote. 
I love um, it. <laughs> and you know, that's actually from, from an interview that's available on our Facebook page and on, on our website, a recent interview I did with Miss Chung, it's her voice in Chinese with English subtitles. So that's a pretty literal translation of something Miss Chung has said fairly recently. Miss right. Chung being Chung Shui Chin, the founder of this approach. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the reason I chose that, um, and I want Christina to just jump in at any moment as well yes, and share her thoughts because she was part of that process too. Um, is, you know, we, we've, we've spent the last five, six years really sharing as much information as we can about Anji play with the world, um, you know, from basic ideas about it to the history of the approach to what the environments look like. We've gone so far as bringing educators sort of from all over the world to Anji County in China to see this philosophy, this approach in action. Um, and so we get into a lot of conversations where we get to a lot of detail. We talk about what the materials look like. We talk about what a schedule of the day looks like. We talk a lot about all of these very like sort of concrete and specific manifestations in practice of this larger shift in philosophy or commitment or stance towards the child. And so I think we, you know, one of the reasons I really centered in and just sort of focused in on this quote is because it's the invitation to pull back and to really look at what the implications are of changing the way you look at children, the way you are around children, and the fact that all those decisions that get made, what the environment looks like, how you support a child, none of that can happen before you see who a child truly is, to know who they truly are, where they are in their lives and their experience, ideally where they are in their experience of play, you know, just the, the natural trajectory of their exploration of the world and themselves and others. And so I think in that interview, as well as in that quote, we really just wanted to come back to this fundamental orientation towards being present, seeing and hearing the child. It's really dis what Ms. Chung calls discovering the true child. Because once you, once you do that, there's this incredible sort of um, universe of possibilities um, in the environment, in the materials, in how a routine unfolds during a day. But if it doesn't start from that point of just putting your hands down, of stepping back, of seeing the child, then we can't really talk about anything else. You're putting the cart before mm -hmm. the horse in some sense. Mm -hmm. And so rather than, you know, talk about a philosophical tenant of the approach or the way a particular thing looks, we just wanted to come back to this idea of stepping back. And it's challenging. And I know that a lot of us in early education, particularly those of us that have a background, a deep interest in play, what might be called play-based learning, mm -hmm. that we sometimes take for granted that there is this simple, basic definition of a relationship with children that can provide us with so much. And so coming back to that is really important to us and all the work we do. Mm -hmm. I think one of, one of the things that struck me as I read it after you, after you sent this um, to me, um, was that so often with whatever the new philosophy practice, whatever we want to call it, whatever it is, early childhood people immediately want to know, okay, so how do we do it? What does it look like? And I think that's why it centers on materials and what the space looks like. And what she says here really is, well, how you do it is by stopping yourselves from jumping in and, and really knowing the child and figuring out what you believe about the child and um, and that's where everything else comes from. Uh, so for me, it's sort of liberating and sort of freeing. Yeah. Right. It's like seeing the children that are right in front of you instead of like 
these hypothetical hypothetical children that will respond to these environments in these hypothetical ways. I think, you know, something when I've been digging deeper into Andre play is like, people can ask us all these like questions that at the end of the day, the answer is really, it depends until you show us the video of what's actually happening with the children in your site at, at your school, like then we can have the answers, right? But until we see what the children in your in your particular situation are doing, how they're interacting, what is your relationship like with them until we have that information. Again, there's, it's just a hypothetical. It's really hard to say, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do, or like how you should proceed. Yeah. And I think this raises larger questions. Um, I think, you know, oftentimes it's just this word pedagogy is sort of weaponized to mm -hmm. imply a certain high level expertise about a subject, but there are these larger pedagogical concerns as well, I think, in how teachers are taught, how teachers learn, the transmission of knowledge and communication, yeah. like basically basic ideas about how we communicate ideas, create this focus on forms, on specific concrete forms. Um, and I think, you know, there's a variety of ways that that happens. There's a variety of sort of interconnected conditions, factors, systems, right? You know, you, you don't want to focus on one system to the exclusion of all others, but, you know, mm -hmm. capitalism, the sale of books, the marketing of materials, the packaging mm -hmm. of ideas for consumption, right? Sure. Um, it's not easy to buy a philosophy. It's relatively easier to buy a kit yeah um or it's to not sell easy a philosophy. to change yeah yeah and i think you know <laughs> yeah. it's easy to it's it's easy to download a pdf that's being offered for free by a very well-intentioned organization but it's different to really reflect on one's own practice and mm -hmm. to reflect on one's own relationship with children and we can we can try to create pdfs that you can download that can help in that process but saying that that will be enough or that is the thing, that's that challenge we're seeing and that you see generally in sharing an, I a, a, an idea, a stance, um, is that the expectation, the way we learn and the way we teach is often about segments, like segmented specific things, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and I, and I don't mean to be cynical or to talk about that to the exclusion of all these other factors that are really important, but there's that expectation that new things, anything will come in a form that's understandably packaged to the expectation of the consumer of that information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, I think it's easier, and I'm thinking about it from the uh, program perspective, like if I was a childcare program and I wanted to, to really implement some of these ideas that I'm learning about um, with Angie Play, uh, it's, it's easier for me to say, well, here's a picture of what it looks like to a prospective family than to say, well, how much time do you have? Because it's really a philosophy that, well, that we have to talk about. <laughs> well, and I, think it's, and I think that's a really important point, which is there aren't you know, clear black and whites, right? Like photos, videos, descriptions of the way something's done brings a lot to somebody's understanding. Mm -hmm. um, it can be a real um, source of information about what's taking place, but it can also be a source of information for the person that wants to make change. So I think you're really right to point that out that, you know, we use videos and photos and text all the time to communicate. So, you know, it's not to say that, that, that there isn't a way to communicate this and we're certainly learning, right? You know, the fact that we were so lucky to hear your podcast and be like, oh, you know, I'm really glad they're picking up on like, this isn't just ladders because yeah. we've both been intentional about this isn't just ladders. And yeah. for those that are new to this, ladders are a part of the play that takes place in Anji. And many people come to us and say, where can we buy the ladders? Yeah. But, you know, 
as intentional as we're being and saying it's not the latter, that's still a very broad perception. So mm -hmm. we certainly haven't figured out or perfected the right way to communicate a philosophy to make change in the world. Yeah. But you know, that's why we're yeah. having and conversations. And something else I would like is really tricky too, is like, how do we get people to see how this is really different from what they're currently doing? Sure. Like observing children, sure, I've got that. But you know, it's observing children to a different degree. It's really focusing everything that you're doing in your entire program on those observations. And I don't know how many programs, I haven't seen very many programs that have taken that stance. Right. And, and what you're, why are you doing the observation, I think is a big culture shift too. And I can tell you as a, as a center director, as a classroom teacher, as an early childhood college student, and now an instructor, um, that's not how we, we teach observation for assessment purposes and only to the very limited view of a checklist of skills and, um, or to solve a behavior problem. And, and so we already are so trained, whether we think about it this way or not, to observe for those purposes, for, for my pur purpose, and not to observe for learning about the child, learning about how they're using these things and, and using that information then to, to continue supporting what they're doing and and, maybe and I I'm think, off with that too but no but I think and I think you know one of the practices um you know to, <laughs> to go to the specific concrete details of the practice of Anji yeah. play there is this practice that's developed in Anji County and in a lot of schools that are practicing this approach where children draw the story of their play the, yeah. their play stories every day after they play and so there's this very specific way in which the child's story of their play is part of this practice, but there's this larger commitment or sort of this more metaphorical understanding of what a story is. There's this larger commitment to really listening to children's stories first before we tell our own stories about who the child is or what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. And now there's always going to be subtle arguments. Oh, you know, but you're telling a story and choosing a particular material or you're telling a story and having a particular schedule of the day. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So, and so I think that these assessments, right, they're telling a very specific story about how children, like which direction they develop, what they should be developing. And a lot of those stories have a basis in fact and reality. It's not mm -hmm. to say those stories are quote unquote wrong or that they're inaccurate, but there's a lot more going on. There are a lot more stories to hear. And oftentimes in telling those stories, we focus in on those outcomes or that particular story is the thing that defines a child. And that can be really... Um, I think that, you know, along with Jesse's point, though, about um, if you're just, you know, always using that assessment lens, you're really missing out on all these wonderful things that the children are doing or saying or thinking that don't yeah. fall so nicely, uh, nicely in the assessment. I, um, I had a really amazing opportunity to spend uh, a month and a half in a three-year-old's class in Angie at the beginning of the school year. And so I was able to watch those children grow through this approach for three years. They just graduated in June. So I got to see them through from their first day of school to, you know, their last uh -huh. day. Uh -huh. And I think that, you know, something that I found so amazing was whenever the children had the opportunity to share a story of what their play was or a story of, you know, what they were thinking about, it was always so completely different than anything I had imagined. Yeah. On top of, it was a lot more complex than anything that I had been thinking that they were, you know, exploring yeah. or thinking about. And so I just, there's this one moment that's, that stood out, and I might have shared it with you during our last conversation, but um, there was children using, like, big materials, so ladders and planks, 
and cubes. And they're really, you know, to me, it just looked like they were pushing things off of these like uh, ramps. But uh -huh. then when they came in and had a chance to share about it, they were talking about velocity, they were talking about force, they were talking about acceleration and how all of those um, impacted each other and how, you know, they were comparing it to other things that they were doing in the classroom and how when the how the floor was slippery when they were wearing socks. And so that was kind of like using the plank and, um, and using a particular material to roll down it versus this other type of material that wasn't as slick and how there uh -huh. was friction that was stopping them from, you know, exploring or from, you know, going down that plank in the, at the same pace. And so, you know, I don't know what assessment for four-year-olds talks about acceleration velocity <laughs> and these very complex physics, uh, yeah. you know, concepts, but, had the teacher just been using like that checklist of, you know, assessments for uh, four and five-year-olds, that whole thing would have been missed. Maybe just focusing on directional words, you know, do they use up and down or, or do they use yeah. fast or slow or those kinds of things on, a, on the typical checklist. But you're right, that, that depth is so, um, uh, it's just amazing to be able to witness and to be able to um, sort of, every day realize the honor that you have to be part of that with children rather than sitting with your clipboard and your notes and your um, index cards or however people, um, you know, do their documentation and, and note taking. Well, and I think it also talks a lot. It also speaks a lot to sort of how we value teachers, how we value mm -hmm. children, how we value their learning. Um, because oftentimes those assessments become the, the, the marker of, good good quality instruction right like sure. if you're doing well on those assessments your classroom is well run mm -hmm. it becomes an evaluation of the student certainly the parents eyes but also in funding decisions um you know that these these maybe narrow outcomes become the basis of practice and so then like the outcomes or the expectation of particular outcomes start dictating how people interact with children or see mm -hmm. children or value children or even understand them. Like that's the story, the story is in those numbers. When I think great teachers, I'm sure for you, you know, it's the relationships with children and understanding children that matter. Um, and I think, you know, one of the really revolutionary calls perhaps in Ms. Chung's work is like, you know, tr trust yourself to really become an expert on children by observing them. And that's not to say, don't learn about child development. Right. Don't know <laughs> how to change a diaper proper. Like, yeah. you know, it's not to say like, don't, don't uh, obtain the skills that are necessary to mm -hmm. respond in an appropriate fashion to the needs of children. Mm -hmm. But there's also this call to just reassess your assumptions about children and understand how to make decisions, like understand how to make the right decisions for children by understanding the children in front of you. Yeah. And I, I think that so much of learning about development or learning about early childhood education is what lens or what frame are we using to like, what story, like what story are we laying on top of this child? And so even when we get away from very literal, like developmental checklists or, you know, um, a variety of continua that are applied to children's learning, but even when you look at a lot of philosophies and approaches, they have a very specific story about how children develop, what happens mm -hmm. next for them, who they are in that moment, what the meaning is of those experience, what is and isn't important in terms of the child's, you know, expression or play. Um, and so I think a really interesting question for us is that, sure, Anji Play is telling a story about children. 
Um, but what is that story? And I think it begins with children are really capable. Teachers are incredibly capable. And if part of that story is we shouldn't be telling stories about children, then it's going to hold itself to a higher standard of like checking those assumptions in some sense than a lot of other ideas, which, you know, pay a degree of lip service to freedom and play or the ability of the child. But at the end of the day, there's oftentimes this kind of yardstick internal or unspoken or highly theoretical mm -hmm. or very pretty sounding that are often applied in these specific organized early childhood settings. Yeah. <laughs> I was just waiting for someone. <laughs> no, I, I mean, and, and I saw this decision but, before but, I started recording not to talk yeah. over you guys. <laughs> oh, well, but again, I mean, I think, and I think this is a big question and a big challenge for us and for any teacher in, and I think one of the reasons that, you know, another part of that quote, which we didn't include, which I think is also really important, which is that, you know, you have to change now. Like, you can't wait for the book to come out. You can't wait for the series of webinars to come out. Like, you can't wait. Like, you have to do this now. Yeah. I think that something that we really need to think about, um, and I think maybe I'm talking to you as somebody who teaches teachers or teaches people to teach teachers how to teach. <laughs> I mean, I'm also talking to, to educators now, early educators, yeah. teachers as well. But I think, um, you know, we can talk all, a lot about the shift in stance, but what are, the, what are the things that we can do to make that shift? Mm -hmm. um, how do you do that without the support, you know, of policies or um, peers who are with you in that shift? Mm -hmm. um, because one of the things we've also been really intentional about is that we think of risk we think of risk really broadly. Risk mm -hmm. is physical risk, but it's also cognitive risk, social, emotional risk. Yeah. It's just doing something where you don't know the outcome, but where you've thought about how that outcome might be, right? And it's doing it and feeling it. And that for us, you know, we've really wanted to think of risk as a form of safety, as the place where you have thought about what is going to make this possible to make, to take that step, to take that leap. And it requires a high degree of safety to, to take risks and not to be in danger. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it takes a degree of safety to be able to step back and really trust children, um, you know? And I think we have to think about that too. And, uh, and I guess I wanna talk to directors then now in yeah. this voice, or, and I'm hoping you, when you talk to administrators, that being present, supportive, reflecting themselves, observing themselves, stepping back, trusting teachers, creating that space where, you know, if we trust that children are highly capable, complex thinkers, and yeah. if we trust that if we step back and provide them with a safe environment, that they're going to figure things out, then we also have to trust teachers not to do all that other stuff that's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Like as an administrator, we have to say, it's okay if you're not doing that work that we think the parents want, or we think, you know, that the books are telling you to do, that there has to be, there doesn't have to be, but to yeah. make that immediate change, it can happen in a much more profound way. Um, when administration is there to say, it is okay for you to make this change. It's yeah, okay I think for you to step back. that makes such a difference for people who are doing the direct work, the direct care, um, to know that they don't have to worry about who's looking in the classroom or what, when the tour is coming through next or whatever, if I'm not, yeah. if I'm not in line with, um, or if I don't feel like what I'm trying in the classroom is, is supported. But I was thinking about, um, to go to go back to to the beginning kind of of where you started there jesse but so when i first started to to try and learn about um about angie play uh or true play and um i was frustrated because there was no book 
because <laughs> that's We're working on it. Huh? That's oh good. Well, that's my you know that's my own personal process. Is I find all I can to read about yeah. it, and then I read yeah. about it, and then I think about how to 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 make it you know work for me in whatever setting I'm in. But what I'm what I'm seeing is that I have to be much more creative now and really seek out my own learning and and experiment with things and talk to people about it. And it just really made me realize that I was giving lip service to um, being a, you know, a, a college teacher who values um, exploration and critical thinking and all that. But I was starting to really teach in I hear something to read and respond to <laughs> kind of way. So I've tried to make this connection for myself. And as you were talking, that just sort of reminded me of that, um, how I'm, I'm learning about the value of process again through yeah. all of this instead of the sort of top down someone else has done the well, work for me and I'm just going to absorb it. And I think the real irony of it all is like I did say we're working on a book to write about Angie play. But <laughs> Which I will still read. <laughs> but again, it's not going to be the book that I think most people are hoping to get out of it. It's not going to be here are the practices, here are the materials, here's how to do it. But yeah. again, we're hoping that it's more a guide to the process of what it takes to become a more reflective teacher. That sounds that makes sense. Yeah. And so I mean, I think that that's going to be very different. Again, like our, like Jesse was saying, like you can learn, and I think probably what you noticed too, you can see what the practice, you can see about, you can learn about the practices, you can learn about the materials and stuff on the website, but that's not really where the interesting stuff is. Like those are just materials, you know, that make sense for the Angie context that they've discovered by closely observing children that that works for them. Mm -hmm. But imagine like in different contexts, like those materials might not even be the ones that are that work for the children in your setting, right? And so really just going back to, you know, the basics, like focusing on the children right in front of you. And right. then who knows where your program will go because, sure. you know, there's so many possibilities. Yeah. And then you have a really uh, like intentional rationale for the way you've set things up or the things that you've added to the environment instead of just here's what's in my catalog to buy for the classroom or here's what yeah. um, I saw in that video. Um, exactly. it, it, like, if you get deeper into the, re, the, the thoughts behind it and the experiences of the people who have gone before us, sort of, yeah. I think that and, strengthens it. And then it goes back to like what you were saying. Okay, so then what do you say to parents or people that are touring your school? Well, you have a lot to say then, right? Because right. everything that you're doing is based on what's happening, like based on the children that are right in front of you. And so you could talk for hours about the <laughs> philosophy or how you're making decisions because they're really meaningful to you and they make sense because mm -hmm. again, it's just what the children are showing you that they need and not what this catalog, what the consultants, what Angie play, what Montessori, <laughs> what Reggio is telling you you should have, right? But it's based on children and the work that you are currently doing. Yeah. But I think, you know, but I would like to go back to this idea of books because I think, you know, where you are developmentally and where you are sort of in your life, yeah. like reading is probably a form of play for you. Yes. And there are people... <laughs> There are, you know, probably one out of a hundred or one out of a thousand people would get the guide to Angie playbook, you know, that laid it out. And one of those people would really get it and they would do it. And like, that would be a great thing, but there'd probably be 900 people that would then say we're an Angie inspired school and yeah. we're just doing what's in the pages. So there's always that balance of yeah. like finding the thing that, um, that creates the conditions for that thing to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to, I guess I don't want. Angie play to be, and I don't think it is, like a rejection of critical thought or no. reading 
or no, no, no. And I'm, I, but I'm serious. I, like, I feel so, like, wait, did I say that? Okay. No, no, no. I feel like oftentimes we're, I think like yes. oftentimes our rhetoric pushes in that direction, yeah. which is like, you know, the, the primary text is the child, see the child, trust in your own expertise. That's, I think something that was very interesting for me is that there was a period where the teachers in Anji, and this is a county and it's a public school system and it's serving ages three to six and you've got hundreds of teachers. And, you know, in the past, they would go to this professional development, that professional development, they'd have this training come in, that training come in, and some of it was required mm -hmm. and some of it was optional. And there was a period where they just totally turned that off and they just focused in on the child. But now they go to all those professional developments because they have the critical they have the critical experience to sure. assess that information that's coming in. Mm -hmm. So I think that as long as we maintain an open mind and we're critical, like I, I think, you know, read every, like read ever, like read widely, <laughs> read everything, but don't, I guess I would say like always check your assumptions about what a child is based on uh -huh. this wonderful resource, uh -huh. you know, which is like the library in front of you, right? Like you have these 30 <laughs> kids. And each one is like a mil, each child is like a million books, right? Each one's got a new story that's going to happen every day. That's going to change every day. Like um, we shouldn't lose sight of that other library, mm -hmm. which is the, the children, you know, around us. Sure. And I think something else too is, you know, it is a lot easier with the support of your director, with the support of you know, your school, but it's not impossible to do it without, without their support. We've worked yeah. with quite a few individuals where, you know, the, the conditions weren't ideal at their school to make Anji play happen, but what they were able to do was step back and deeply see the children. And that made, you know, their experience, it transformed their experience because it went from, oh my gosh, I have to go to this, this school every day where I don't necessarily agree with what they're doing to, mm -hmm. you know, I have this opportunity. Sure, there's things that I don't, I don't really want to do or I don't agree with, but I also have all these amazing opportunities to really be with children and see children and step back and see their capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my advice to teachers that don't necessarily have people that you feel are supportive is like, what are those like five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day that, you know, you can really just see what amazing things your children are doing because in any program, true play is happening. Probably, <laughs> you know, a lot of times when you least expect it, like when they're washing their hands, when they're like in the corner hiding from you because they don't want to go to the next activity or whatever it is. But, you know, instead of seeing those uh, moments as being frustrated, like really focus in on them and like, okay, well, what is the amazing thing that's happening here? And I think mm -hmm. that that starts to shift your view of the child and, you know, kind of what you were saying before, like usually when we're observing, we see it for like, we focus on problematic behaviors or assessments, but maybe you can see, okay, well, this behavior is sort of irritating to me, but what's the brilliance in this moment? <laughs> flipping, it, flipping it for yourself, right? Because a lot of times when children are doing things that are kind of driving us a little bit, you know, batty, it's, they're experimenting with something that's really, really interesting. But again, as an adult, it doesn't make sense to us because we probably have already figured it out. Right. But they haven't had that opportunity to. And so what is that brilliance in that moment that the children are experiencing? Yeah. I had to write that down. That was a great question. <laughs> so I had to I make think, sure I, I work it into my own. I'm going to steal it is what I'm saying. <laughs> and I think that this, you know, again, you know, we hear a lot about this thing of like process versus product and it seems very abstract, but I think we can just think of it as play, you know, play or whatever the child is doing, they're learning something. So it's mm -hmm. like whatever they're doing is what's most important. And so there's a lot of importance in whatever's going on to that child. And it could be communicating something, some want or need that's important to them. It doesn't mean it has to be important for everyone, <laughs> but 
understanding from the get-go that it's important to that child mm -hmm. or it's important, what, what's going on is important to them is part of that. It's, it's part of that stance of curiosity. I mean, I think that if what the child is showing you is not some magical moment of wonder and curiosity, but is something much messier, that's still not losing sight of the fact that that's important, right? Like if you're not in a position of, wow, this is magical, look at this child's <laughs> ability. But like, you know, there's things everywhere and they're screaming, but like this is something, something is happening right now. Uh -huh. So I guess the word, we don't like to use the word rigor in like an academic sense. Oh, good. But I think that there, <laughs> but I think, but, but I do think that there is, there can be a rigor around practice. Maybe that's intentionality, mm -hmm. but I think being consistent, holding yourself accountable to trying to understand somebody or trying to s take a step back or take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. I, I guess what I'm saying is it's not easy. Um, that the, the rewards are great and many, Mm -hmm. Um, and you learn as like you evolve and you learn as you go. But, um, I think something that I've seen in Anji is there are systems, like there are systems in place. There are ways that, you know, simple expectations of what teachers do, of what, what spaces are for, um, that, and again, maybe rigor is not the word, but it's a pretty, um, it's pretty darn high level teaching. It's pretty... <laughs> And I guess what I'm saying is it's not just like lots of people coming together and feeling it out and like, this is great and we're all happy and everything looks different. And we're all, you know, and there is that to a degree, but there's a real seriousness mm -hmm. about the practice of teaching, about the implications of the importance of those experiences to children. I guess that's what I'm coming back to mm -hmm. is like each story that the child draws of their play is critically important. That is so much more important than any assessment form that has all those numbers that decide millions of dollars, right? Uh -huh. Like, those numbers are the most important thing for many schools or for right. many programs. For this teacher, for teachers in Anji, there is this deep commitment to those expressions being very important. And I think that they're actually so much deeper and more complex and interesting. They defy all of those assessment standards because the children are not creating reflections of what we want children to be doing, right? So like a child's completion of a task that's important to me is never going to inspire me to wonder at the ability of a child. Maybe, maybe it's like, oh my God, he's really good at doing the thing that I like secretly wanted him to do. Like, sure. I mean, I, that, you know, that yeah. I can understand on like a yeah. tiring day, like that is, that can be oh, very sure. satisfying. Yeah. But that's different. There's like a, there's a qualitative difference and there's a way in which the practice of Anji play makes that qualitative difference, like a rigorous commitment to the work of being an educator. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a high standard. I think we don't, we want to hold ourselves to a high standard, particularly when we're talking about what the optimum conditions are that we can create for children, the optimum conditions we can create for adults to learn, right? Because that's also really important. Right. And creating the optimum conditions for adults to work and like be in this environment where that joy is sort of central. Mm -hmm. Which I think it's safe to say is, is, is lacking in some early childhood programs or schools, that element of the teachers feeling joy. I, well, I also, they have partial, so much stuff on their shoulders that it's hard. That I was, yeah, I was just yeah. going to say, but they yeah. have so much stuff, stuff on their shoulders because of the lack of professionalism, right? They, people don't have trust in teachers to do what they're supposed to be doing right. at their job. So they give them all these things that they have to abide by assessments, here's a curriculum, here's this. And so teachers don't get a chance to really experience that joy because you know, it's not really coming, none of the stuff that they're having to do isn't coming from them either. So mm -hmm. like in Anji, teachers 
oh, what that child is doing is really interesting. I'm gonna go take my camera, record them, and really pay attention closely to what they're doing and you know, get insight into what that child is doing. Having the freedom to do that versus like, okay, well today we're gonna to talk about apples because it's fall and you know, there's apples growing on trees and we should talk about it. I feel like that's really different. Mm-hmm. And so the, because the teachers have that freedom, there is more joy. And they're seen as professionals as well, right? I feel like those two kind of go hand in hand, the reprofessionalizing and the joy. Right, right. Which I think can impact burnout and turnover and all of those those problems that we have as a field. Um, If teachers were feeling more of that joy and more of that trust and being seen as um, doing high-level work, um, then, then maybe we wouldn't see. Well, there a 43% turnover rate nationwide. <laughs> and truthfully, like there'd be a lot less, uh, like, I don't know, lack of a better word, but like fighting between teachers, right? Yeah. There's always so many conflicts. And so like when I went to Anji, I asked the teachers, I'm like, do you guys like ever get in like really heated disagreements <laughs> and like where you don't really, where you can't, you know, stand to see the teacher because it just, you know, you have so com- such completely yeah. different views or whatever the case. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, you know, sometimes, you know, I've experienced where I have an opinion and the other teacher has an opinion. They're just so different. And they're like, okay, but that's about you. What about the children? Beautiful. <laughs> like, and, nice. and so they're like, you know, we focus on the children. So our, our personal stuff doesn't matter uh-huh. because we have the photos, we have the videos and we go back to that. And so again, it takes all the things that are personal out of it because we're there for the children. We're yeah. there to work together. We're, they're a team. Yeah. But I think, you know, another thing that I've observed um, in the the West, right? Like sort of in America, (laughs) in places I've been in Europe, but you know, my general, in my general experience, Mm -hmm. although I've seen this in programs in, um, you know, what, what is called the global South or where large NGOs are trying to implement sort of Western ideas of best practices in Mm -hmm. early childhood education. um, That when you have an approach that grabs from here and grabs from there and has a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we got this new thing and we got that new thing, that there's a lot of room for a lack of clarity about what any given person is supposed to do at any given time uh-huh. or how any given person is supposed to respond to any given thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not really here to talk about other approaches or offer a critique, but I think something you can say for a great Waldorf school or a great Montessori school or a great Reggio program is there's like this consistency and commitment to an idea of practice uh-huh. that can also allow for people to be on the same page in a way that can be like, okay, well, our time together as teachers is to reflect on children. Our job is to look at children. Mm-hmm. It's not our, our time today is to do another, another professional development about this new thing we're supposed to learn. And like, you know, how many hours do you have and who's covering my time so that I can take a lunch break. Right. Right. Like all the teachers are coming together to talk about children. And so I think insofar as there is interpersonal conflict, it would, it would almost like stand out more because mm-hmm. there isn't that excuse in some sense for it to be about what am I supposed to be doing in my classroom? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about, oh, you said that to my children. Why did, like that, that, that people are on the page in the same way when you have a clearly articulated specific philosophy mm-hmm. um, that I think creates a lot of safety. Um, but also I think as Christine is also saying that like there's this deep commitment to the joy of children, but there's also a deep commitment to open reflection. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, anything that you would learn from, you know, probably people that are talking about like relationships, like how to have the best relationship with your spouse or, you know, how to create the best work environment, right? Uh-huh. Like you want to have places where people are listening and people feel safe 
to talk about how they feel and in a non-judgmental sort of environment. And so if that's like a core aspect of your approach, then, you know, you would hope, and I think as Christina and I have seen, you do see that impact yeah. on sort of the culture of, of, of the school, the staff, the classroom. Sure. And not probably overnight, but <laughs> with no, that, no. as part of that and process. Of course, that and I'm sure all there are together. conflicts too. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, uh, so I, I, I want to uh, wrap it up, but is there anything that the two of you were hoping to talk about that we haven't gotten to or that you wanted to say um, that we haven't? Done. You know, I think, you know, we're, so, I'll, I'll just jump in here. I, you know, I, th I think our strategy is to sort of share information about this approach that we're learning with the uh -huh. people we're working with directly, working on what works and reflecting ourselves in the way that we're working with others. And so, you know, we don't, we don't really come in to think, maybe this is something we should learn about, but like, we don't have like strategic specific messages. We want people to do this. We want people yeah. to do that. Um, but just to say, you know, we're here. Um, we have, you know, Google Angie Play. That would be my challenge. I'm not going to give any specific URLs. You know, Google <laughs> Angie Play. See what you can find. A N J I P L A Y. Yeah. There's a lot of information out there. If there's something that's really unclear, reach out to us. If if people need yeah. resources, reach out to us. You know, we had this great conference planned for this summer. Um, that you know, as we all know, things are different now. Um, yeah. New normal after new normal after new normal, or yeah. or the the next normal if, you know, yeah. that, that keeps on coming down the pike. We don't know when that's going to happen again, but we're going to keep on sharing our community of, of, of peers, you know, just thank you. I mean, maybe yeah. that's, that's what I should say. Thank you yeah, for giving us yeah. this opportunity Great. to tell people um, to Google Angie Play. Yeah. And I will, uh, when the podcast comes out, I will share a link to that specific interview that the quote came from. Um, awesome. So everybody yeah, can that. find that if they want to, but um, yeah, that's how I started is just with a Google search because it, it wasn't, uh, wasn't, you know, like I said, there wasn't that book that I could go out and get, but um, there is lots think, of good stuff. Yeah, you know, I think that we just have a genuine commitment to engage in authentic conversations mm -hmm. with people. And so, you know, yeah. you, we found you through a podcast where you were engaging in an authentic uh, conversation with your peers and you guys, you know, threw out really honest questions. You're like, we don't actually really know about this. And we're like, they would be really awesome to talk, <laughs> talk to. We should, you know, we should, um, have a conversation with them too and yeah. so I think that you know we do have this commitment to talk to people and engage that are willing to engage authentically with it and you know willing to challenge themselves as well yeah. because you know Jesse and I challenge ourselves in our thinking about Angie Play nearly daily um, <laughs> but I think that's what's so wonderful about Angie Play too is it's an evolving practice because mm -hmm. again the people in the spaces are always different the children are always different the teachers are different they're learning things they're you know evolving as teachers and professionals and so i think that's what keeps on play exciting too that you know if if and you know i think that if it were something that was always the same it would be really stagnant and kind of boring and so it's really it's really exciting for us to engage in conversations with other people too, because maybe you guys will bring up or other people will bring up perspectives that we hadn't thought about and it'll challenge our thinking too yeah, well, I am, I am really uh, grateful that you reached out after that podcast and that we've been able to talk a couple of times since then. Although when I first got the email, I had to go back and re-listen to that first episode. I was like, what did I say? Did I offend somebody? <laughs> did I screw it all up? Um, so it was great to be able to have that follow-up and to continue the conversation. So I really appreciate um, you reaching out then and then being willing to come on, to come on today again. Um, well, thank you everybody for listening to another episode and thanks, uh, Christina and Jesse for being on. Um, we'll be back next week with a new episode and, uh, 
and and that's all. Bye. <laughs> and that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.